The Politocrat is brought to you by the great people at Anchor. Anchor is such a great place to go if you want to get started in podcasting. And it's easy and it's free. Anchor, marvelous stuff, marvelous. And I'm so grateful to the folks at Anchor for getting me going with The Politocrat. If you want to get going and be heard on Apple, on Spotify and everywhere podcasts can be, Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to another edition of The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. It is Wednesday, April the 15th, 2020. And I hope that you are... Seeing Wednesday as a day that is looking up for you in some way, shape or form. So I wish each and every one of you out there listening the very best indeed for this day and every day and for your families and um, that they all be healthy and safe and If you are struggling through any of this, my condolences to all the people who are going through what is obviously a very difficult time and maybe have the virus or know people who do or who've lost somebody to it. It's been very difficult for you and for people you know, for all of us in varying degrees. So I do want to start with that. Lots to get to in this episode. So I want to just plow through headlines, and there are quite a lot of them on this Wednesday. A lot of headlines before I start to centralize on one of the key points that I really wanted to get to in this edition. Headlines, well, you know, Trump now doing an about-face on his total authority thing. Of course, not surprisingly here, Trump has now relented, like the weather vane that he is, switching back and forth. Oh, well, yeah, you know, I would like to see things open. And so there's the weather vane. You know, obviously governors, as we all know, have the authority to reopen their states. They closed them in the first place. Somebody must have slipped Donald Trump a copy of the 10th Amendment. I don't know if he read Liz Cheney's tweet that I read out yesterday. But obviously, I think that somebody got to him in these last 24 hours. Gavin Newsom is talking about reopening California in the future. Not now, but he outlined these plans yesterday about reopening the state and And of course, I talked about this pact that he has with other West Coast governors, Jay Inslee up in Washington State and Kate Brown in Oregon. And I really do question the wisdom of even airing right now a plan to reopen down the line when you have not given out any real statistics on testing. I mean, there have been some but has not really given out adequate information or clear information for the people in the state of California. 
Now, according to some of the latest figures from the California Governor Gavin Newsom's website, it showed that just under 260,000 people, around 250-something thousand people or so, had been tested. This is as of April the 13th of this year. In the whole state, you have a population there of 41 million people. And only 250,000 or so have been tested. That is a drop in the bucket. And that is less, far less than 1% of the population of the state of California. Which, by the way, is the fifth largest economy in the world. To that point, the Los Angeles Times which with I really enjoyed it. This is one of the articles of the day. And this is my criticism of Governor Newsom. And I want to just stick on this for a moment because Gavin Newsom's been getting all kinds of praise out here. You know, I'm here in California and he gives these briefings that to me are, you know, they do yield some information, but he's been very tight lipped on a lot of things. But I notice he's making the TV rounds more and more. He was on Rachel Maddow last week. He's been on CNN this week. He's been here. He's been there. And this is all being done, yet the people here in California are asking real questions of the state government, of Gavin Newsom. This is from today's Los Angeles Times. I'm going to just spend a few moments on this. Sharing select facts with the public. That is the headline. And it's by Anita Chabria, Jack Dolan, Ben Poston, and Matt Hamilton. And the subtitle, As the Virus Claims Lives Across California, a Secondary Victim is Arising, Transparency from the Government. And this article doesn't mean the Trump government. This is the government, as in Newsom's government in California. It is a tragedy unfolding in real time at a skilled nursing facility in the Chilear County town of Visalia. 71 residents and 41 staffers have tested positive for the novel coronavirus. Six residents at the 176-bed Redwood Springs Healthcare Center are dead. And eight are in acute care, according to Anita Hubbard, the center's administrator. But without Hubbard's details, little would be known about one of California's worst outbreaks of the deadly virus in a senior facility. Chilear County stopped commenting for five days, during which the number of positive cases skyrocketed. Like other cities and counties statewide, California doesn't require it to release such information, even in the midst of a pandemic. As the novel coronavirus continues to claim hundreds of lives across California, a secondary victim of the crisis is emerging. Government transparency. And by the way, it's not just, let me correct myself, it's not just Newsom. It is across the state. You have these local governments who aren't doing anything either, to be clear, to the residents of their constituencies, of their towns and municipalities, of their cities. Much of what we knew about COVID-19 in nursing homes and senior facilities did not come from public agencies, but private sources, relatives, staff, members, and administrators. That's where these, these are the individuals, the relatives, staff, members, and administrators, not the public agencies. Quote, I want updates, said 
Christina Valencia, whose grandmother was among the several people testing positive for the disease at a nursing home in Redondo Beach. You know, um, excuse me, you should have a right to know how many residents are positive. Californians are in the dark about more than nursing homes. Information about the availability of PPE is lacking, up in the anxiety of healthcare workers. Coroners aren't releasing information about deaths. Until recently, California was not releasing information about the racial breakdown of people who were infected and killed. Government, conclu- government confusion has undermined public understanding of the crisis and has potentially compromised California's response, some health and civil liberties experts argue. But there are few rules for what cities and counties must disclose and little direction from California's top officials, including Governor Gavin Newsom, on what must be communicated in an urgent moment. Dr. Richard Jackson, who served as California's state health officer under Governor Schwarzenegger, said it's crucial that public health agencies and political leaders keep residents informed by sharing data on local hotspots, infection rates, and demographics in their communities. I mean, this is what my problem is with Gavin Newsom. And now, for that matter, any of the mechanisms of state government here in California or local government here in California, the general public is not being properly informed. And definitely Trump has a lot of blame on a lot of blood in his hands and a lot of blame, of course. I am now looking at specific states. How many states in the country have adequate, clear knowledge about this virus? And yet Gavin Newsom wants to reopen the state or at least has had drawn up plans. He's drawn up plans about Reopening the state down the line, somewhere down the fu- somewhere in the future. And I don't think it makes any sense at all. You, you've got these grandiose plans being floated by Governor Newsom. Grandiose plans. Well, this is what we may be doing. And yes, Californians may have to wear masks and they'll probably have to wear masks. And we'll have restaurants open, perhaps, and we'll have the tables further apart from each other. And, you know, you're going to have to have a thermometer to test your temperature before you go into a building. Workplaces are going to have to look at the way they're ergonomically designed because cubicles and desks are going to have to be further away. And it depends on the kind of sector you're in. Gavin Newsom, I think, is not doing this great job that the corporate news media and people are touting from him because these are problems that are not being talked about. On the one hand, you've got this push to open things or at least a plan in place to let you know what it's going to look like down the road. Now, he didn't name when that's going to happen. This shelter in place here in California is at least through May 15th, and I'm sure that it's going to be extended beyond that. Right now, what's happening is is that We have a government, I think, here in California who's making this up on the fly. And I think this L.A. Times story, which I think you should read, highlights this. And then you've got places all up and down the state of California whose state, whose local governments aren't informing them 
on top of the lack of transparency from Gavin Newsom, sharing select facts with public. That is the story from today's LA Times, and it's by Anita Chabria, Jack Dolan, Ben Poston, and Matt Hamilton. Read that whole story. I just read you a piece of it. And that's the problem I have. And that article points it out. There is a tremendous lack of transparency. The San Francisco mayor of this great town, the San Francisco mayor, a wonderful town is this San Francisco where I am. Her name is London Breed, and she's been mayor now for just over a year or so. She won re-election in November of last year to have her own term. She was filling in for the late uh, Ed Lee, who was the previous mayor here in San Francisco. And now Gavin, excuse me, now London Breed's uh, won her on her own last November. By the way, she was on Chris Hayes last night on MSNBC. And she said that she and her administration in San Francisco had been tracking the pandemic and this virus since last November. And she only called a state of emergency in February. Granted, it was before Trump called a national emergency. About three weeks later, two weeks later. But surely if London Breed is saying that she was tracking this as the mayor of San Francisco back in November. And obviously Trump knew about this back in November. What about the governor here, Gavin Newsom? What about all the governors? What about the House members? What about the Senate? They all must have known back in November. You can't tell me that the mayor of San Francisco knew about this in November, was tracking it in November, and that senators weren't, and that governors weren't, and that House members and Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who's also here from San Francisco, didn't or weren't. So the question is, what was going on for three months, from November to February, were governments all over the country, state and local, as well as federal, obviously, were they all waiting for cases to come here to America before acting? Were there, posi- were there things put in place? Obviously not. Certainly not with Trump. But were state governments doing that? I know that there's a lot of cash-strapped issues with the states, budgets and all of that. But it didn't stop them from giving out contracts to these big private sector businesses. How much was being done to protect the health and welfare of the citizenry of all of these states? Whether it's here in California or whether it is somewhere else across the United States any of the cities. There was poor preparation. I think everybody was poorly prepared. The World Health Organization has been criticized, and quite frankly, rightly so, in many instances. They didn't call this a pandemic at all until later. Everybody was behind the curve on this. But the WHO has largely been very good. And you've got Trump, he wants to, he wants to, he's now defunding them, which is going to affect a lot of countries, especially poorer ones and poorer continents, those continents that have been invaded and had their resources 
taken from them, stolen from them, i.e. the African continent. Sub-Saharan African countries are going to really suffer as a result of this defunding of the WHO. And can I remind Donald Trump that the WHO actually offered him many hundreds of thousands, if not millions of test kits that were 100% reliable back in January and he refused them? And then he had the CDC making these kits that were disasters, lots of false positives, lots of false negatives. Let's not forget that. Gavin Newsom wants to reopen the state at some point. He's got this plan for all of these things. How is that going to be working in practice? How practical is that going to be? It's going to be discriminatory because you're going to have some businesses and some sectors that can go to work and others that cannot. How are you going to enforce this social distancing? We're barely having it happen through grocery stores. How are you going to enforce this in the private sector or in any other sector? What are you going to do? Dock people wages because they don't enforce physical distancing? They don't practice it? I'm not so sure that this is going to work. I'm sorry. Call me a party pooper here. But I've got to look at this realistically. And this is the piece of this that Gavin Newsom is not talking about here. He's just not talking about it. And that is testing. He's not doing enough of it. He's not talking about it enough. And I will say this. They have, as the article in the LA Times alluded to, has been a release of some numbers regarding testing. And again, this is as of around 4.13, April 13th. I've actually overstated the number of tests. Lab tests in California conducted statewide. This is from the governor's website, 215,400. That's from his website. So far, 215,400. We have a population of 41 million people here. Right now, the demographics of people who have tested positive out of those 215,400 people, 49% female, this is California now, 49% female, 50% male, 1% unknown. Of all of these positive cases of these 215,000 tests, the greatest number, the greatest age group the, the highest percentage is 48% amongst 18 to 49-year-olds who have tested positive. 27% of 50 to 64-year-olds have tested positive. And 63% of 65 and over, 23%, excuse me, of 65s and overs have been tested positive. 2% of 0 to 17. So you have 75% of the residents who have been tested in California and who are positive, I should say, 75% of those testing positive are under the age of 65. That's staggering. And the racial breakdown, finally, we're seeing the racial breakdown here in California. 36% of those testing positive are Latino, 32% are white, 9% are other, 13% are Asian, 7% are black. 
Native Hawaiian, 2%. Multiracial, 2%. American, Native American, this is 0% here. Doesn't mean that people haven't been tested, but the percentage is less than 1%. So, you know, it's 0%. Not a large enough figure. And speaking of LA, since I just read you in a story from the LA Times, LA tested positive 9,367. By far the most, the county with the most positive cases. And that is the predominant Latino population, which reflects in the 36% number that I just read out to you of positive cases, which goes back to the people that I mentioned in the article I read from the LA Times who are not getting the information, who have their, their mothers, their fathers or grandparents in these nursing homes, these elder care facilities where this virus is spreading like wildfire. These city governments in California have got to be more responsive and clearer to the residents. And many of these individuals are poorer. Many of these individuals are, as I said, Latino, Latinx. And Gavin Newsom's talking about reopening things. Or at least, here's the plan to reopen. What about the plan to test? What about the plan to inform people? There was a professor or a, a, someone who's a doctor who's been doing studies at Harvard who was on CNN last night talking to Addison Cooper, talking about that we are going to have to enforce social distancing until 2022. Here in the U.S. without the presence of a vaccine. I don't know how this is going to work out. Now, look, there have been people who are saying that a vaccine could be ready as early as next year. There's the doctor out of the National Institutes of Health who has said this, who is hoping for a vaccine to happen and to be available in the springtime. So, of next year. Listen to this. So these respiratory viruses, COVID-19's uh, virus, SARS-CoV-2 is not alone in um, perhaps causing reinfection. So, you know, people get reinfected every year or two with a lot of the viruses that cause the common cold. Four of those viruses actually are cousins or akin to the SARS-CoV virus that is novel and circulating right now. So we know that respiratory viruses generally don't necessarily cause very long-lasting immunity following natural infection. And that is actually one of the ways that the virus just really allows itself to continue to circulate and, um, so to speak, live amongst the human population. So, you know, I saw that data and I wasn't surprised <laughs> because um, this is something that we've, we've studied quite a long time, you know, under the direction of my boss, who's an expert in respiratory syncytial virus, et cetera. The point of a vaccine is to do better than natural infection. The point of a vaccine is to um, essentially create an immune response that is very potent, so high-level immunity for an extended period of time. I know I'm sure you get this question from anybody you meet who finds out what you do. Any idea when a vaccine, assuming that this vaccine works, when it might be available for, for use? Yeah, so, you know, we are targeting 
fall, I'm sorry, um, we're talking targeting fall for the emergency use. Um, so that would be, you know, for healthcare workers and people who might be in constant contact um, and, and, and risk of being exposed over and over. And then for the general population, our target goal is for um, next spring. And that is if all things go well and at, if these phase one, phase two, and phase three clinical trials work simultaneously for the good, our plan is to have people vaccinated all over the world by next spring. Next spring. That was Dr. Kismikia Corbett. Now, she is the lead scientist for the coronavirus vaccine research at the National Institutes of Health. That is the place where Dr. Anthony Fauci is the director, NIH. And she was on last night, as you heard Anderson Cooper there, talking about the vaccine that would, she hopes, be ready next year for the general public globally. And this fall for the healthcare workers and people, other people on the front lines. So it's at least a year, according to Dr. Kismikia Corbett, it's at least a year away for the general public at large. She's saying next spring. And she's working on this very, very hard along with her team. So if it's going to be at least a year away, why are people like Gavin Newsom throwing out these plans? Is it because he's responding to big business and the demands that they may be placing on him? Is he speaking to richer communities up and down the state of California? What is driving this and this conversation about, and I've said this before, about trying to rush back and get back when you've just heard from Dr. Kismetia, Ms. Kismikia Corbett. Dr. Corbett's telling you it's at least a year. They're targeting next spring if everything goes well with the research and everything else and the outcomes. I don't understand what Governor, Governor Newsom is doing here. With everything else that I've presented, I really am at a loss as to this kind of hide-and-seek game that Governor Newsom, I think, is playing. He has not been as transparent as you would think. These press conferences give you some information, but not the whole story. A lot of these local governments here in the state have not been up to par. I just read you a portion of that LA Times article. Transparency is not where it should be in this state. And you know, here in California, we pride ourselves on being so forward thinking and we're progressive and we're ahead of the curve. But while you look at those numbers that say that California's deaths are less than a thousand. Listen to me, less than a thousand. They're at around 800 and something right now in the state. 800 people dead? That's nothing to be proud of. Those numbers are much lower than what the actual number surely must be because we've only tested as of April the 13th, 215,000 people in this state. And now you're throwing out a plan 
about, well, this is what it would look like when we reopen. I think a lot of this smacks of privilege. I think a lot of this discounts poor communities in this state. And I also think that Latinos, black people, Native Americans, and poor white people in general are going to be at a distinct disadvantage with this staggered reopening. The resources are going to be better positioned in the richer communities. They will probably be able, most likely be able to reopen first. Their schools in these communities that are much more, much richer are going to be reopening before communities that have less resources, the poorer communities and, and, and less strong schools, they're going to be at a distinct disadvantage. The education system in California ain't great shakes. San Francisco's education system ain't great shakes, as quiet as it is kept. So Governor Newsom, I think, needs to face some real serious questions. I voted for him. I voted for him in 2018, but that doesn't mean that I don't try to hold him accountable. Gavin Newsom, and for that matter, a lot of these municipal officials up and down this state, I think they've got some explaining to do. I'll be back with a little bit more on this because this is something that has honestly ticked me off. And I was on it on Twitter last night because at the popcorn, R-E-E-L. I was just, Gavin Newsom is getting, in my opinion, a free pass. is still so far behind where it needs to be, even with guidelines in place. I mean, can workers feel safe going back to work without proper testing? I think that's really the problem here. Even if we implement all of the kinds of adaptations that, uh, that Seth just laid out, which I think would be uh, obviously critical, if we don't have adequate testing, we can't actually tell uh, who is sick, who is exposed. We can't trace um, the the uh, transmission of these infections. So it really needs to be both uh, tools handy. You need to know um, how to actually surveil the virus to make sure that your employees are safe, your customers are safe, and then you need to actually, of course, have these kinds of measures in place, have the personal protective equipment, whatever its equivalent is, for non-healthcare professionals so that once you have isolated those folks who are sick, um, you can still limit their transmission uh, from, from, their co you know, from going to their coworkers and to customers and, and others. But uh, right now, we're just not on pace to get that, that first step in place. And she's absolutely right. That is Catherine Rampell. She is an opinion columnist at the Washington Post. And that was her last night on Don Lemon's program on CNN. Look, she's absolutely right. She's saying what I've said, what 
Others have said, obviously, what many of you have said, what Drew Griffin, I played that sound yesterday on the episode of The Politocrat. We need testing, testing. We are so far behind on testing in this country. And I just, I, I am at a loss for why there is this rush, this even this displaying publicly these plans when you don't have a public display of what your testing infrastructure is beyond the numbers that you have now been pressured to release. The media here in California and the press here were, I think, largely responsible for pushing Gavin Newsom to release the figures that I gave you um, from his website just a few, a few minutes back. But I, I just think this is so insidious to be doing this. And you're, you are putting the economy ahead of the health and welfare of people. You know, you can't get a bus here in San Francisco. If you don't have a car, if you are poor, you are stuck. Over 60, over 60 of the bus lines in this city have been shut down. Suspended. So if you, and that is in one hand for Mayor of London Breed, that is another way of trying to limit the movement, which I think is good, but it has a discriminatory effect against the poor. San Francisco is a very rich city. It's one of the richest cities in the world. Never mind just this country. It's expensive to live here. You know, there's almost 900,000 people here. Only 14 deaths so far that we know of, 14 or 15. But this is a number that is underrepresented because, again, there's not been enough testing done. So Christine Rampell makes a lot of sense. Not that she, not, not that that's a revelation. But anybody who is saying that we need more testing, we need to have that in place, we need to have Adequate testing, proper testing. Makes sense to me. I just think that that's what we have to do. That's where the focus has to be. Before you can even lay out plans. I'm not saying that you shouldn't start to look at plans, but to publicly put them out there publicly, when you have not put out any real plan for infrastructure testing. What does your infrastructure look like so that those people in Los Angeles, for example, who I read to you about in that story just a few minutes back, that they can know what it's going to look like. How is that implemented? Where is the testing? You've got people all over this country who aren't being tested. All over this country. You've got Americans all over the place who are sick that can't be tested. I mean, this is just ridiculous. Here's something from yesterday. You've got to listen to this. My name's Luke. I'm a high schooler who lives in Seattle. I'm a 26-year-old healthy teacher. I'm a student at Washington State University. My uncle... Glenn is 59 years old. I'm from Beaver, PA. The first three times when I went to my local hospital, 
next to my house, they told me that my symptoms are severe enough. The U.S. does not have enough coronavirus test kits to meet the current demand. The testing. The U.S. has been lagging far behind. Not just in tests, but the components needed to conduct the test. Two weeks ago, I presented with all of the symptoms associated with COVID-19. I had a sore throat, a low-grade fever. He has had symptoms of coughing, fever. Having severe respiratory system symptoms. He's not been able to get a test at all. The physician informed me that she was sorry. I did not meet the criteria. They're not going to test me because they don't have enough supplies. There was no way I could get tested because I wasn't around anyone um, who was a confirmed case. They said, you know, just assume you have it. Stay home, isolate yourself. Nobody can go out there and get tested like the president is saying. There aren't enough supplies. If you're not testing anybody, then how do you know if you've been next to anybody that had the COVID-19 virus? I need to know so my, to protect my parents. It's hard in a time like this when the government is dishonest to the people. We've tested more now than any nation in the world. That was the voice there, that last voice of Donald Trump. And the lies, of course, that he has been spewing about. We've tested more people than anyone in the world, which is a bunch of lies. We know that. That was from Joe Biden, by the way. The overall sound you heard there was from a video from Joe Biden, who tweeted that out yesterday. Joe Biden, of course, the presumptive Democratic nominee for president. Now, look, that was a just a small cross-section of people in the country. A small cross-section and pretty much every one of those people, you can't see it, pretty much every one of those people were white. And as you know, in this country called the United States of America, when white people catch a cold, black people get pneumonia. Can you imagine what it must be like in black communities all over this country, in the U.S. of A.? If you've got the white people that you just heard, and I saw them, I'm watching them as I'm playing this to you, who are talking about being sick, having severe respiratory problems, and they can't get tested. Where do you think, and what do you think that means for black people in the United States? Why do you think that the disparity of their numbers of deaths to the population is so pronounced? Why do you think that in somewhere like, say, Louisiana, where black people make up around 30 or so percent of the population, that 70 percent plus of the people dying in the state of Louisiana are black people? Obviously, systemic racism is a huge part of this. And that is also factored into the disparities in testing. Black people are less likely to be able to get a test. And if these tests are not free, forget about it. These tests must be free of charge. And then you wonder why people are dying out here. These are very serious issues. And these are the issues that any kind of rush to reopen are going to completely ignore and skate over. Testing, testing, Testing. Speaker Pelosi has said this over and over and over. Testing, testing, testing. We need 
testing in this country. As I said yesterday, we need to test at least 160 million people. That is the amount of people who are the workforce, who form the workforce in the United States of America. We must have testing. There must be a plan and an infrastructure, and that doesn't happen overnight. You cannot do what Dorothy does in The Wizard of Oz and click your heels together and have 160 million people tested overnight. That is going to take weeks. That is going to take months. That is going to take up to a year. If you're testing people at the rate of 1 million a week, you do the math. That is well over two years before you can test your entire workforce. You cannot, as I said yesterday, have a healthy economy and a chance at a robust economy if you do not have the workers who form the economy and the consumers who purchase in that economy healthy individuals. You just can't have it. You just cannot have it. I get it. People are going to shop online. But there are people who don't have online access. There are millions of people in this country. At least a third of the people in this country do not have internet access. A third to half the country does not have internet access, does not have Wi-Fi, does not have a computer, has to go to the library. Many Americans are in that boat. Many people in this country have to go to their local library. And guess what? The library is closed right now. This pandemic has forced that to happen. And if social distancing is going to take place until 2022, according to at least one or two researchers, several researchers, including the Harvard researcher that I mentioned earlier. How on earth are you going to be returning people to work, Governor? How on earth, Donald Trump, are you going to be telling the states, well, I recommend this. Well, you have no say on the states. But this pipe dream about May 1st, I mean, this is something that Fauci said yesterday. This is not, this is wildly optimistic. This is overly optimistic. Again, he has to tread on eggshells around a dictator. Sad, but it's true that you're, you've got someone in power in the White House who everybody now has to nervously tread around to get what they need to get done. This is not how government is supposed to be running. We shouldn't have to be kissing someone's butt to be able to save lives, to do what you're supposed to do. This ain't about you, Donald. But you've got the state's governor here, Gavin Newsom, having to praise this guy to get what he wants for the state. What a sad state of affairs. He's praising Trump to get what he wants in this state, but he's not releasing to the public more concrete information about a plan for testing 
the people that he serves, that voted him into office in 2018 here in California. There are millions of people who have not been tested. 99% of the people in this state have not been tested. We need delineations on the frontline workers who were tested, and he's been very cagey with that information. He's releasing some of it, but Gavin Newsom, I've got to say, I wouldn't be all excited about the way he's responded to this. There have been some things that he has done well, but there's a lack of transparency, and that's my issue with the governor, a lack of transparency here. We need better, and we now have to continue to to demand better. If we say here in California that we're this beacon beacon of light for the rest of the country, we're forward-thinking, we're advanced, we're ahead of the curve, and we are in a great many respects here. And we're well-protected in a lot of ways, but we're not in others. We've seen what happens when wildfires run through the state. We saw what happened just over a year ago. The Paradise Fire, the wildfires there that killed over 80 people, 8-0. And now we've got a pandemic on our hands that has killed 10 times that many people and counting in this state. And we have a governor, whom I voted for, who maybe you voted for if you live here in California, who has been very, very cagey with information that I think is very important to the health and general welfare of the people he serves. Personality, really a terrific tune from the late 1980s, if I remember correctly. Terrific tune, really important song. I loved it when it was um, out for the first time then, back in the late 1980s, I believe it was. Um, Cult of Personality from Living Color, might have been in the early 90s. But anyway, Living Color there with Cult of Personality. And speaking of which, Donald Trump is going to be having his name on the stimulus paper checks. This is something that has never happened before in this country. George W. Bush wanted to send a letter to every person in this country who received a stimulus check with that bailout back in 2007, I believe it was, when he sent out, or 2008, when he sent out the stimulus checks. 
And the IRS said no. Now the Treasury Secretary, Steve Mnuchin, who I have not got kind words for. And by the way, speaking of California, he's from here. And Kamala Harris, who is one of the senators here in this state, did not and refused to prosecute him, did, decided not to prosecute him when he was defrauding people here in California and forcing foreclosures on them with these scams that he was running. They call him the, Calif- the, king, the king of uh, foreclosures. They call him the king of foreclosures. But, you know, apparently Senator Harris decided not to prosecute him. Not apparently, that was what happened. There's that. So the Treasury Secretary decides, yeah, go on, put his, put his face, not his face, thank goodness, his orange face, put his uh, name on the checks in the memo line. So for those of you who do not have direct deposit, you're going to be getting a check. And when you get it, and that might be in September or October or later, you're going to be seeing his name in the memo section. And this is, do you want to talk about a narcissistic move? Don't worry, folks. This is not his money. It's your money. It's taxpayer money. Trump did not take this out of his pocket and give it to you. That's what this is all about. It's all about politics for him. He has politicized this thing from the beginning with this virus. He called it a democratic hoax. I mean, this guy is absolutely ridiculous. And by the way, having his name on these is actually going to delay these checks. It's going to delay the checks. Having his name on them is actually going to do that. In fact, Trump had been the one who privately suggested this to Mnuchin. He wanted to even he wanted to even sign the damn checks. That was not going to happen. This is a U.S. Treasury issue, and this is all about nonpartisanship, or it was supposed to be. It's crazy. Washington Post talks about this. It was Lisa Ryan who talked about it, who wrote about it in the Post. The checks will instead bear Trump's name in the memo line below a line that reads economic impact payment. The official administration official said, and this is ridiculous. Many people have low incomes. They're not going to see these checks at least until September. In fact, it will be a delay now because of this, because of putting his freaking name on these damn things. This guy Well, his name is going to be on the deaths of when it's all said and done. Well, I don't even want to go there about how many people are going to die in the United States as a result of this virus. But as a result of Donald Trump sitting back and saying, oh, this thing will be over in April. Oh, that number that's 15, that'll go down to zero. This is going to take extra weeks.
Computer code, this is from Lisa Ryan in the Washington Post. Computer, computer code must be changed to include the president's name and the system must be tested, these officials said. Quote, any last minute request like this will create a downstream snarl that will result in a delay, said Chad Hooper, a quality control manager who serves as national president of the IRS's Professional Managers Association. Of course, the Treasury Department spokeswoman, however, denied any delay and said the plan all along was to issue the checks next week. By the way, have you received your stimulus check yet? If you are one of those economic groups who is eligible, have you received your stimulus check yet? I had asked that question on Twitter at the popcorn R-E-E-L on my Twitter handle. And there was, a, at least the last time I looked, an overwhelming no. At least 87%. That's the last time I looked at it. 87% of you who responded to my question on my poll on my Twitter handle at the popcorn R-E-E-L have not received your stimulus check yet. And now this news of this delay that's going to most likely impact a lot of you. Because this idiot wants his freaking name in the memo section of the check. Give me a break. Right now, this guy's name is written all over 27,000 dead bodies and counting. Let me just remind you about Donald Trump and where his name is going to forever be synonymous when it comes to this coronavirus pandemic. Let me just remind you about this impeached failure. The coronavirus. This is their new hoax. We have it totally under control. It's one person coming in from China. One day it's like a miracle. It will disappear. When you have 15 people and within a couple of days it's going to be down to close to zero. We really think we've done a great job in keeping it down to a minimum. I like this stuff. I really get it. People are surprised that I understand it. No, I don't take responsibility at all. And that's the guy who has his name in the memo section of your stimulus check. This guy now is suing a Wisconsin TV station. He loves to sue people. Go read the book, The Making of Donald Trump by David K. Johnston. He talks all about it in that book and you find out how much of a skeezy criminal Donald Trump is. Even before he walked into the White House, stole it, stole the White House. He's suing a Wisconsin TV station for running the ad that I just played, that you just heard. Because they say, oh, it takes him out of context. No, it doesn't. 
Everything in that ad is perfectly in context. And it's all documented. These are his own freaking words. Vote this November, please. 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 Vote this November. I've got a couple other things I want to get to. I had hoped to get to... (laughs) I had hoped to get to some other things, but I'm going to do an additional episode that will be released later on that will give a tighter focus to an issue that needs a tighter focus and more substantial time. One or two other headlines... And this regards a couple of celebrities, actually. According to, this is from the uh, Portland Press Herald. Here is a story from today. Rita Wilson, this is the headline. And Rita Wilson, as you know, is an actor. She um, is also the uh, spouse, the wife of Tom Hanks. Remember that both of them, Rita Wilson and her husband, were tested positive for coronavirus when they were in Australia. This was back, I think, in uh, late, uh, uh, early March, I think it was. And they were in Australia where it was summer. So Donald Trump, oh yes, it's going to go away when the weather gets warmer. You know, what a genius you are. Here's the headline from the uh, Portland Press Herald today. Rita Wilson had extreme side effects from chloroquine for COVID-19. It's going to read some of this here. I'll probably go through it as quickly as I can. I'll read the whole thing. Actress Rita Wilson said in an interview broadcast Tuesday that she was given the anti-malarial drug chloroquine to treat the novel coronavirus and suffered extreme side effects from it. Those words, extreme side effects, in quote. The inexpensive malaria drug and its less toxic derivative, hydroclox, oh my gosh, hydroxychloroquine. That's the less toxic derivative? Highly, this is, listen to this, hydroxychloroquine has killed people in this country. It's killed people in Brazil. They've stopped doing, administering that drug. It's killed people in other countries. That's the less toxic derivative of the drug that Rita Wilson took? I mean, I'm so excited, I can't even get the sentence out here. But it's an excitement steeped in incredulity. You're telling me that she took a drug that was even more toxic than the derivative that Trump has been peddling, that has been killing people in this country, in Brazil, and in other places around the world. I don't know who recommended this drug to to Rita Wilson. I mean, I I mean, I, I am just beyond disbelief. She had extreme side effects. This drug, hydro, 
I always have problems saying that. Hydroxychloroquine have been touted by Trump as a game changer in the fight against the pandemic, though they are yet to be established as a cure for COVID-19. Actually, I'll skip through some of this. Wilson said that she, and Hanks had milder symptoms than Wilson did. Wilson says she showed virus symptoms over the first few days, including tiredness, aching, and a fever, quote, with chills like I've never had before, end quote. And that was in an interview that she gave to CBS this morning. On day nine, she was given this anti-malarial drug called chloroquine. Then she says, quote, I know people have been talking about this drug, but I can only tell you that if I, if you, if, let me say this again. I don't, <laughs> I just, this is just unbelievable to me. Quote, I know people have been talking about this drug, but I can only tell you that I don't know if the drug worked or it was just time for the fever to break, Wilson said. My fever did break, but the chloroquine had such extreme side effects. I was completely nauseous. I had vertigo. I could not walk and my muscles felt very weak. I think people have to be very considerate about that drug. We don't really know if it's helpful in this case. No kidding. I would say I'd go beyond that. I know she's probably she's being a bit diplomatic there. It sounds like it reads like that to me. This drug is not helpful. This drug kills people. Can, can we just read with a third ear? This drug kills people. The side effects are unholy. Both Hanks and Wilson have donated blood to aid research into the virus. One other note, and I think this is a really good piece of good news actually here to end with, is Taraji Henson. Taraji P. Henson, and you know her. She is the actor. She's a producer. She is an advocate for mental health. And today she announced that she is giving free, F-R-E-E, virtual therapy on mental health to black communities in the U.S. through her, her late father's Boris L. Henson Foundation. And I think this is a really good thing. You know, the website actually had crashed. And it was um, really hard to get through to that website. And I don't know if, if that's still the case. The Facebook page, though, is Boris L. Henson Foundation. Uh, Facebook.com, Boris L. Henson, I assume B.L. Henson Foundation is on Facebook. So it's Facebook.com forward slash B.L. Henson Foundation. And then the actual website is BorisHensonFoundation.org. And I'm literally trying this as I record this episode. And at the moment, at least with the internet that I have here, there is a very, very slow response. In fact, it, the website itself is not coming up. So I think that they're fixing that because after this appearance, let's see. Oh, here it is. It looks like it's back now. So they have fixed it. That's great news. Literally, it's just come up here. So this is a really good thing that Taraji P. Hansen is doing. And let me just play you 
uh, a couple of minutes from her appearance today on a program on CNN with Poppy Harlow and Jim Shuto this morning. This is a really good piece of information, uh, a really good piece of video here, just over two minutes long. will be destroyed and ripped apart. You have generational families that have been living together under one roof. I know a family, there's nine of them living in a three-bedroom apartment. So when you say social distancing, we throw that out like everybody can do it. Where are they going to go? I mean, you're, you know, um, of, co- of, of course, of course. I mean, and that, that's a huge concern, you know. Uh, look, yeah. let, let me ask you about what drove you to this, because obviously you've talked about your own personal struggles. And we see the disparity in the African-American community right now in terms of the higher death rate and infection rate from coronavirus, which I think is a national tragedy for this country. What, what caused you to want to launch this? I had to do something because I know people are suffering and they're suffering in isolation. I am blessed enough to be able to be able to pick up the phone and call my therapist and not think twice about how much it costs. But you have people out here who have to decide between a meal and their mental health. Not only that, it is hard enough and most difficult for the black community to even speak up about mental illnesses or mental health because of the stigma around it in the community. So I felt important. I felt like I had to do something in this moment in time to relieve uh, the stress, the anxiety, um, to save some lives. Uh, what was alarming to me are the numbers, and I'm going to read these to you. In Illinois, 43% of the people who have died from the disease and 28% of those who have tested positive were African Americans, a group that only makes up 15% of the state's population. These are alarming numbers. Mm-hmm. African Americans who account for a third of positive tests in Michigan represents 40% of the deaths in that state, even though they make up only 14% of the populations. These are alarming. In Louisiana, about 70% of the people who have died are black, though mm-hmm. only a third of the state's population is non-black. You those are- numbers to me are alarming. I can't just sit by and hear those numbers spewed out and not do something. You took the... the- yeah, and I think that's absolutely right. You know, congratulations. And thank you so much, Taraji, for your work and for all you're doing. This is a really good thing that she's done here. And she's on Twitter at the real Taraji, R-E-A-L, Taraji, T-A. R-A-G-I, the real Taraji. Taraji P. Hansen, I think that's a tremendous thing that she's done. You can go, you know, and it's particularly targeted to the black community. I think that's a great thing. There are a lot of mental health issues in the black community, just like there are in other communities, white communities, Asian communities. But there is a tremendous level of stigma. She's absolutely right. And that was Poppy Harlow that she was speaking to there. You know, that there are a lot of black people who have these struggles with mental health. And that should not surprise people when you're dealing with the legacy of enslavement of black people in this country, the legacy of Jim Crow in this country, and the continuing systemic racism and institutionalized racism that produces these disproportionate deaths regarding this virus and disproportionate health outcomes that do not favor black women, do not favor black men. Black men are at the highest risk in this country from prostate cancer, 
black women are six times more likely to die in childbirth than white women are? These are very serious issues beyond everything else. And Taraji P. Henson is talking about mental health and she, through her late father's foundation and as someone who is part of that foundation herself, she is giving back, as they say. It's not even a question of giving back. It's a question of opening up her heart. And she is an advocate. She's an activist as well as, a, as an actor and a producer. And she is reaching out to the community that she cares about. She cares about people. And one of the groups of people that she is reaching out to, specifically reaching out to in this instance, is the black community who we do need an advocate, by the way. We need many advocates and there are some out there. But Taraji P. Hansen is a very visible advocate. And because of her station, she's using her platform positively. So I just want to personally say thank you to her. And I would recommend anybody in the black community who is dealing with mental health challenges and having issues around mental health, particularly around what's going on now. But even before this pandemic came along, these challenges always existed in the black communities, in our communities. Go to facebook.com forward slash B.L. Henson, that's H-E-N-S-O-N, foundation or very simply go to the website it is now back up boris b-o-r-i-s-l the letter l henson foundation.org and i want to say again thank you very much indeed to taraji p henson for her work and for offering this really important service to black people in the United States. I think this is just a really good bit of news on which to end this edition of The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. Thank you very much for listening.